Got a smile that'll melt your heart. She's always there to lend a helping hand. Her fantasy knowledge is just the start. Her skills are highly in demand. She's our Bay Area lady out there hustling for us. Advice that we really trust. Bay Area lady, always there to help. She's not a cone. She's your favorite gal. She's the fun you Welcome into another edition of Answering the Bell. We are here at the 2019 NFL Combine in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm here with my producer extraordinaire, Daniel Duff. Hey, Stefania, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Daniel's got his dulcet tones voice, but you're going to hear some background noise. People are moving around. There's a lot of activity going on in Indianapolis this time of year. One of the things that people might not be aware of because you just don't see it on television is the importance of the medical evaluations. What's going on um, with the players who are coming to Indianapolis to be evaluated by the different uh, team medical staffs An equally important part of the combine. As some would argue it could be the, the most, most important, important yeah. part of the combine. Uh, so we're going to hear from some folks who have expertise, a few team doctors, uh, one of the team's physical therapists to share with us some of some of their insight as to why uh, these medical evaluations are important to what the different processes are to how the teams interpret that information and to some of the behind the scenes things that go on to keep the players in shape and ready for their performance during the workout portion of the combine. So without further ado, let's bring in our first guest. Hey, I'm here at the NFL Combine. Uh, you might hear some background noise because it's very, very busy, but I am joined by Dr. Walt Lowe, the head team physician for the Houston Texans and a uh, very talented surgeon, I might oh, say. <laughs> Welcome, Walt. People might recognize your name because you were part of my feature on the blood flow restriction training. Correct. That yeah. was a big uh, step forward and it made a huge difference in this league. Yeah, that's right. And you were the first to d dip your toe in the pool, so to speak, when Jadavian Clowney uh, was injured and you used blood flow restriction training with him. Correct. And it, you know, that, that changed, I think, his outcome and it changed our approach to the cartilage issues that that we do where guys can't wait bear where we can maintain strength and so now it's like every training room and almost every physical therapy place and this is just five years later it's part of mainstream physical therapy now. i know it's amazing and i certainly think around uh, the professional sports world everybody's using it well well, I know you as uh, someone who is particularly talented in the world of ACL reconstructions. You see a high volume of ACL patients. You said you expect to do about 400 this year. That's an average year for you. Yeah, I, but that's pretty much all I do anymore with with the things that come with it sometimes, mm -hmm. you know. So, yeah, it, it is what I love to do, and it I do see a lot of it, which kind of lets me pinch myself in the morning when I get up, you know. <laughs> By the things that come with it, you mean like? combination injuries acl and meniscus and so yeah, forth you, yeah you know, you know meniscal tears are common other ligaments along with it are, are pretty common um it, it's especially in the contact world i think so there's there's 
it's more common than not to have something come along with it than mm-hmm. it is to be just a straightforward a- ACL. And and people who listen to our podcast will know because they've heard me talk about an isolated ACL tear, which is much cleaner, a little right. faster recovery uh, than something that's more complex. So uh, looking at NFL players who come back from an ACL reconstruction, people, I think, expect people to come back because that's very common now, but they're always curious about the timeline and sort of what to expect. Can a player come back and be 100%? You obviously had a very high-profile player, your quarterback, who had ACL reconstruction, came back this year and was very productive. What's your projection for an NFL player coming off an ACL injury? And if you're talking to a fantasy football audience in particular, how would they, how should they expect a player to perform in their first year back? Well, you know, the the philosophy around bringing players back from ACLs has changed a lot just since you and I have been doing this, you know, and it and it used to be about how fast. Mm-hmm. You know, you remember Jerry Rice played at <laughs> eight weeks and, and then he broke his patella, right. you know, and so that that that's all changed because we understand now that it takes a long time to become who you were. Mm-hmm. Before and I think that's all of our goal um, that do these guys is to have guys not only be good from a performance standpoint but be safe when they get back out there in the field and that has a lot to do with healing and what's happening inside the knee a bunch of the things we can't see and so I don't think we really attach a calendar date anymore I think there's a progression mm-hmm. that you have to see guys go through and if you said well pick a date when they're going to come back right now, I'd tell you nine months, mm-hmm. plus or minus two or three, mm-hmm. you know, probably uh, besides what goes along with it. But it's really based on going through progressions that when they're actually back on the field, they're at least close to who they used to be. So uh, as far as being able, we hear things that the audience might hear commonly are, when can a guy resume running? When can a guy resume football activities and when can they resume full contact? What are sort of the markers for those things? Well, so in in general terms, these progressions I'm talking about, because that term can confuse some people, I think. You know, the first two months, really the first three months is all about getting all the range of motion back in mm-hmm. the knee. And if their knee doesn't move exactly like their other knee, they won't be who they were mm-hmm. before. Now, I always tell my fellows and everybody else, it's better to have great genes than it is to have a great surgeon. Okay. <laughs> so, so these, these, these guys are different. Mm-hmm. And believe me, if all I had to do was fix guys in the NFL that are extremely talented, you'd look really good. Okay. <laughs> it's when you and I and the, and, and the t- teenage kids that maybe aren't quite that talented, that's really where these progressions are time frames that aren't very predictable. These guys meet them. You know, so the first two, three months is just getting your strength back, getting your range of motion back, getting the knee quiet and allowing some early healing that allow us to show these graphs or pieces of tissue that we fix the ACL with more and more stress so they can adapt to that stress over time. So general time frames, get strong the first three months and then you start to jog. Now we have ultra G's, anti-gravity treadmills, all mm-hmm. these things we can cheat in the pro training rooms and some uh, therapy places, but you always don't get those in mm-hmm. the real world. So three months you jog and you get stronger. And these are just generalities. Four months you sprint mm-hmm. and 
you get stronger. Five months, you start agilities. You start, you know, jumping, plyometric things, and you get stronger. And around six or seven months, I think one of the biggest differences in our world right now is we start return-to-play testing. And so in the old days, six months, go play, see how you're doing. Now we want to compare their leg that they're getting over the ACLN with their normal leg, presuming mm-hmm. they have one. And basically, when they're 100% of that other leg, we know they're safe. And our numbers show, and we have about 600 now in three or four years out, that the re-injury rates plummet when you meet those progressions before you send them back. Right. So the, the key takeaways, do not return a guy too soon. How right. how concerning is it for, you know, obviously Deshaun Watson, who we were referencing earlier, he comes back to play in a contact sport and he takes a lot of contact. How worrisome is that for somebody coming off a ACL reconstruction to have that kind of physical? Well, I, I, I think that's a twofold challenge. question. <laughs> One is it, how worrisome is it for a guy like Deshaun? And then how much did I worry about it when he was out there doing it, you know? And and so I think every player, it affects differently. Mm-hmm. You know, Deshaun had been through an ACL on his other knee. He knew what it was all about. And that guy never blinked his eye about believing he was going to go be the old Deshaun Watson again. And he pretty much has done that. Now, every day he goes back on the field, I go, please, not today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> may the stars and the sun and the moon li- line up with this today. And so as they're surgeons, you realize you can only get them to where they're safe again. And then you got to go let them be themselves, you mm-hmm. know. And so, but yeah, do we worry about it, especially those first two or three games back, especially how many times Deshaun got sacked right. this year? Did I worry about it? <laughs> Heck yes, you know, because football is a place where... The, the contact ACLs happen. You know, right. Most sports, they're, they're non-contact injuries. And in football, still, you know, about a third of them are, are contact. Maybe not quite that many, but those are the ones you worry about. Right, especially coming off fresh right. from a surgery. And then since we're here at the Combine, you're in the rooms, you're evaluating the prospects. Uh, how concerning is it for a team or or how does a team consider a player who has had an ACL injury in their history? How does that affect how a team looks at that prospect from a risk assessment position? Well, there's the thing that makes me, and I think most guys that do what I do most comfortable, is that they have been playing with it or recovered from it when they get here. So you have some history to see what they're doing, presuming their exam's good when, when, when they, uh, you know, when, when, when they come back. The ones that worry you are the guys that tore it in their bowl game. You know, mm-hmm. they haven't played football since then. And even if they're looking great, you still don't really know because you haven't seen them go through those progressions and, and, and you know they're going to be well. And, you know, there's a, there's a study in, in our big sports journal last year from the NFL database that really scares us all that said if a player comes in to the league, um, having had a previous tear of his ACL, 25% of them will tear their ACL or their ACL on their other knee in the first two years they're in the league. And lo and behold, lo and that, behold, lo, lo and behold that comes out and here, here, here's Deshaun, you know. <laughs> right. and but so, then again, you get a guy like Todd Gurley who had passed that metric who came in the league and he was one who, when he was here at the Combine, was still recovering. Correct. And... So far, knock on wood, I'm sure, um, he has managed to survive that benchmark. Right. And that's where it's 
better to have great genes than great surgeons, you know. <laughs> when, when you're looking at Todd Gurley, you, I think this guy's going to make it, you know, for sure. Yeah, kind of he's thing. been okay. Right, you yeah. know. And, and so then, then after that, you know, you just you just assess risk. And for the most part, if they've recovered and they don't have arthritic stuff or other things, then it's not going to affect their draft status. You know, if if they have other things that are going to limit their playing career, it, it probably is going to affect it some. Well, awesome. Thank you so much to Dr. Walt Lowe from the Houston Texans for spending time with us here at the Combine. Good luck. All right. That was fun. <laughs> Thanks. Well, now here we are at the Combine, joined by Dr. Robin West, head team physician for the Washington Redskins. Thanks for spending a little time with us. I know you're very busy. Thanks for having me, Ms. Tanya. <laughs> so uh, people always ask me what happens during the medical process at the combine. It's like this big mystery. We know all the athletes come in, they're being interviewed, they're meeting with coaches, and then they have the medicals. But people don't really understand what happens. Can you describe what the process is for the prospects who come in for the medical evaluation? So as the orthopedic surgeon, we, we have to evaluate all the players. So we have, you know, 330 guys roughly who come in, um, and they don't all come in at once. So every day we will have the offensive line, let's say, and the defensive linemen come in, and they'll come in in waves. So we see typically 10 to 20 at a time, and they'll come into our room. And the orthopedic rooms are divided into six rooms, and so the teams are put into these six rooms. So we might have five or six teams in each room. And every room does it differently. So the player walks in and a, and a doctor will grab them and take their whole medical record and go through their medical record with does them. Does the player bring their record they with do. them? They, they carry a record, it? yeah. And I have been here. This is my 17th year. And actually, 17, 17 combines. Years. That's amazing. And 17 years ago, they actually brought the x-rays in with them and the MRIs. <laughs> we had to go through every image. And now it's all digital. So that's right. obviously a much lighter folder now. But they bring their folder in. We'll sit with them and we'll go through their medical history. Their medical history was taken by the athletic trainer initially. So when they checked into the combine, they got their medical history taken and documented by an athletic trainer and also from records from college and high school. And so we'll go over it and make sure it's accurate. And it's often not accurate. It's the wrong side knee or it's something is in there that wasn't supposed to be in there. So we just make sure we clarify it with the player. And then we do a full exam. So as the orthopedic surgeon, really, we're looking from head to toe. Mm -hmm. So we look at range of motion. We look at strength. We look at stability of the joints. And then we come up with a medical grade. And then as part of that, we also look at their x-rays and their MRIs or CAT scans, whatever they've had done. And a lot of them come in with studies already done because if somebody had a knee injury, they're going to have gotten the MRI before their exam. But maybe we find out that they didn't have a documented knee injury. Maybe no one knew about it. But on exam, I find a doc. I'm like, oh, right. your you know, PCL feels loose. Then I can order the MRI and they can get the MRI done later that day. And it's right. The... The imaging is very right accessible there. for them. It's, it's right, right there. Exactly. And then if we need further testing, a CT scan or EMG or anything else, the hospital's nearby too, so they can get everything done. So then the next morning, well, then we can review any images done the day before. So as part of that, then again, each room is different. I've been in two rooms. I was with the Steelers um, for 12 years and with the, with the Redskins now. So um, what we do typically in the two rooms I've been in is we present the case. So I would examine the player. I then in the middle of the room, put the player on the center on a table and present to all six teams and say, here's the history. Here's the exam findings. Here are the MRI and x-ray findings. And if one of the other team physicians has a question or a concern, they may come up to the player and examine them as well. That has to be a little odd for the player, right? They're basically in the center of the 
It the is. Theater, yeah. If you will. In their underwear, basically, right? So they're getting examined that way. Um, and some, some rooms, some of my friends in the other rooms will say every team will examine the player. So they've got six tables set up. So the player basically gets their hands on by. Which is interesting. I'm glad you bring this up because I've seen, you know, Dr. Andrews, I've seen a letter from him when he's had players who've had a recent surgery, for example, and say they don't want them tested because they know that yeah. that might be one knee getting put through it is. 25 different stress it's true. tests. You know, especially you're four weeks out from an ACL and you have, you know, 32 teams torquing on your knee. That's not, not great. Right. So, um, so a lot of players will come in with a note from their physician and we try and be cognizant of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you're not testing someone's stability at that point. We don't really know how their stability is unless it's grossly abnormal or something's very strange. We see a lot of swelling or redness or, you know, we picked up random bad things too. Right. And sometimes, you know, certainly been to help the player out, right? It they is. Get something addressed that exactly. they may not have been aware of. They may of. not have been aware of. So we see stress fractures sometimes they weren't aware of. Maybe they come in and they say, hey, doc, I've kind of had some pain in here. We get an x-ray and, hey, they have a stress fracture in their foot. And then we say, you should get it fixed now, right? Instead of going into the draft with this stress fracture that potentially could. We've seen you. players who have not been able to work out at the combine. It happens, seems like there's one or two every year because then they have something that's discovered and they're going to get it taken care of and then end up exactly. I mean, I saw probably 15 players t- t- today who aren't going to participate in the combine because of a recent injury, a recent hamstring injury. They were training, they pulled their mm-hmm. hamstring or maybe they're two months out from their ACL. So those kids are going to be all rechecks. So they'll come back for the rechecks in April. So I'll come back and see all the players who are rechecks and the rechecks are again, recently injured players or who are recovering from surgery, recovering from an injury. And we can't really get a full assessment. So after they go through the medical evaluation, as you mentioned, there's a grading scale that's used. How do the teams then use the medical grading? How do they integrate that into their evaluation? Yeah, so the, the grading's tricky. I mean, we, we have a, most people have a five scale grade, and so we'll, we'll grade players, you know, minor injuries to major injuries. We can fail players. And, and then every team does it differently. So, um, the, the way we, most teams will do it typically is that the, the head team physician will meet with the GM or the head coach and then go through the players. You know, maybe the, the easy ones against guys who get ones, which is a very high grade. Maybe the guys who get ones you don't talk about, but the guys who you downgrade get a three minus or a four, they're on the borderline fail. Maybe the, maybe coaches will go through those with you just to say, Hey, how about this player or that player? Why'd you do that? What do you think? What's your concern? And we typically use the grades really for, for longevity. So I see someone with knee arthritis. We see a lot of arthritis in the combine, but what's the longevity of their knee? Are they going to get through one contract? Are they going to get through two contracts? What's the likelihood of them making it through? And can I manage it? That's something else. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see something done, maybe a bad surgery. We'll see some failed surgeries, but can we fix that problem? Right. That's how we grade it as, as surgeons. I think some people... Um just fans, football fans, are get confused when they hear that somebody, one team failed a player and someone else didn't. Can you explain why some of those discrepancies might exist or how that's interpreted? Yeah, that's actually not that uncommon. Again, our, everyone's grading system is different, so some people will grade differently and they, they're going to fail anyone who they have a, a concern about, while another team might say, hey, listen, I can fix that problem. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe somebody has a failed ACL. They came in and 
um, or a, a meniscus tear or something, and one team may fail them because they say, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have to fix them. And But some other team may say, you know what, that player is good, and I can fix their knee, and we know the longevity is whatever, five years. So, And we've often talked about this, or I certainly have, that it's a risk-reward ratio for every team. That's essentially, that goes into all categories, whether it's a character issue off the field, uh, a talent issue, a medical issue, and every team has to sort of evaluate what's the risk versus what's the reward. So medical is, is just Same part way. of that. Yeah. It's, it's hard, you know, in football, honestly, I mean, because there are so many traumatic injuries, we, we can't predict injuries. It's We can predict some, right? But most of them we can't. Mm. And uh, so when we see an injury, and again, hey, we're looking at what they have, but we don't know what's going to happen to them. And there have right. been pl- plenty of players where you, <laughs> they get a one, they get the highest grade, and then they come in and they tear their ACL in the first game, the, right, right? Or in the preseason. Yeah. Well, we've seen and that. So we've mm-hmm. seen that. And, you know, you can see a, a non-contact, which maybe is preventable. Maybe that's something that we could have picked up on all this, you know, sports, all the sports science stuff that we're using. Or is it something, a traumatic injury that we couldn't have predicted there's no way speaking of injuries that are unpredictable um obviously redskins had a tough year this year there were so many players who lost time due to injury and a number that went on injured reserve when you go through a season like that and you're dealing with a lot of injuries what happens in the off season to sort of prep you for looking ahead or do you come together and have a conversation about hey there even if you can't predict all those injuries it's obviously something you'd like to address if you can what's the process the team goes through and postseason kind of the debriefing after a year like yeah, that it's a pretty big process i mean we certainly look at all the injuries we, we keep very good track of the injuries how they happen when they happen so we can look back and and really know the specifics of the injury um, we obviously look at video replay. So when the injury initially happens, we do all that, and mm-hmm. then it's all documented. And at the end of the season, we'll look at the injuries, and we'll try and categorize them and figure out which ones maybe were preventable, because some of them are. Some of the soft tissue injuries, maybe the hamstring injuries, maybe it's a workload issue. Some of the traumatic injuries, was it play calling that wasn't done right, or maybe the player didn't know their play well? So we're doing some of that also. Mm-hmm. It, it involves a lot of people. It's not just the medical staff, right? It's strength and conditioning. It's coaching. It's workload. It's hydration. It's so so. We try and take into consideration everything, um, and sometimes we'll bring a consultant in, maybe again to look at and run the numbers for us, and bring in all the variables that we think are important, and see what we can find. So we've, I think we've it's done a for, lot of that. It's good, for, yeah, I, I, it's good for people to know that there is a process, that it's not just like the year ends and you go, okay, it's over. And you yeah, start no, it certainly doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge loss for us, right? I mean, every game missed is a big, big deal. So anything that we can prevent. Again, the, the soft tissue injuries are the things that, that linger, right? You have someone gets an ankle sprain and it lingers for weeks and weeks. Could we have prevented that from happening? Could we have sped the process up? Or lots of things to think about. Well, on that note... Let's hope that you guys are a lot luckier next year. Thank you. I will take whatever you can uh, give us as far as luck. <laughs> and thanks for joining us. Thanks for spending a few minutes at the combine. Yeah, thanks, Stefania. I'm now joined by Dr. Robert Anderson, who is foot and ankle specialist extraordinaire, really has become uh, the go-to foot and ankle surgeon, not just in the NFL, but I would dare say NBA, MLB, you name the league, they're coming to see you. But uh, we're here at the Combine, so we'll talk NFL. Thank you, uh, Thank Dr. You, Anderson, for joining today. No, thanks for having me. So um, let's start by talking about lower extremity injuries in the NFL. There's been um, 
there's a high rate of lower extremity injuries. It's not a secret. The league has talked about it. They've talked about trying to target um, lower extremity injuries to improve the injury rate. Um, It's stayed pretty consistent for the last few years. I know there are some things in place that the league is looking at. Could you just expand on that a little bit and describe, uh, you know, what things are being targeted and how that's happening? Absolutely. Um, You're correct in that we remain concerned about the lower extremity injuries in the NFL because of this rate that is not going down. And there are so many different factors for that. They can be contact injuries, non-contact, stress-induced, strains from poor conditioning or overuse. Um, So we're looking at multiple different um, areas within that lower extremity injury you know, uh, category, so to say, to see what we can do to change that. Uh, for instance, we're still working very hard on the cleat surface interaction. This is one that we've been spending a lot of time and uh, doing a lot of testing for, is trying to reduce torque. The mm-hmm. players want traction. Traction means performance. But if you have too much traction, you can induce too much torque on the foot, ankle, leg region, and then eventually a body part may fail, leading to ACL ruptures, list frank injuries, turf toes, high ankle sprains. Injuries like that. So we're going to continue our testing of the cleats, the surfaces. Um, we look at uh, when does a cleat release in a certain surface, under what loads and under what rotational forces. So we'll keep doing that kind of testing. Uh, we're real big on shoe fitting right now, making sure all the players are wearing the right width shoe, the right length shoe, trying to reduce stress fractures, uh, particularly the Jones fracture that we think could be caused by the fact some of these guys are wearing too narrow of a shoe and then the fifth metatarsal lays off the side of the shoe and gets more stress on it. The fifth metatarsal being on the outside of the foot. for Just for reference for the audience, it's on the outside, connects on to the that outside. pinky toe. Yes, and thank so you very much. if it's draping off the edge of the sole of the shoe, if you will, it can be subject to unusual stress. Exactly, and that's what's important about the width. Now, the length is also important because if a guy's wearing too long of a shoe or too short of a shoe, then the forefoot bend's not going to be in the right spot. And then he could impart more risk for some of the injuries like turf toe Liz Frank. We're also trying to get the shoe companies to stiffen up the front of the shoe to some degree. Hopefully there again to decrease the excessive bend, bending we don't need from a performance standpoint, again to reduce that risk of turf toe Liz Frank injuries. And then the last big thing we're working on is uh, the uh, Musculoskeletal Committee of the NFL just created a soft tissue task force. And what we're concerned about is the hamstring strains, the adductor strains, other strains of the lower extremity that are leading to a lot of lost time and recurrent injuries. And how can we prevent that? So we have a task force now in place that will do a a deep dive into that particular area of hamstring strains and other lower extremity strains, trying to prevent them and also improve our statistics in regard to when they can return to play and recovery leading to uh, less recurrence. I was at one of the medical committee meetings and the the, the graphic that they showed uh, ACL is the most missed time, which makes sense because it's a significant injury requires basically a whole season to recover. But hamstring strains were right up there. So this seems to be like if we can solve this problem, I say we like the collective sports medicine community, it's like the holy grail. And it is. And it's not a surgical problem, as you know. Right. So this is just an injury that can be prevented with proper conditioning, proper hydration, um, and we believe some other preventative measures. And then, of course, right past that hamstring category is the high ankle sprain category that also leads to a tremendous amount of time out of 
out of the game, and we're trying to figure out ways to lessen those injuries as well. So those are some of the global things, but we're here at the Combine, and players are coming through the medicals. This is considered one of the most important things that happens here at the Combine, and every year we talk about some of the things that are discovered discovered in quotes you know because sometimes the players will have an injury that they weren't aware of sometimes they think it's not a big deal but then it's uncovered to be something slightly bigger here i know jones fractures or something we hear about a cropping up at the combine can you tell us what kind of things you see and why do you think they're discovered here so after the first two days it's been pretty consistent with other years we see a lot of acl injuries uh, that have been fixed and repaired and guys are doing well with but we have seen a lot of jones fractures a lot of high ankle sprains that have also required surgical intervention so you go, well, what's new? I'm not sure if it's new. It's just consistent. We're still seeing way too many of these types of injuries in even the college ranks. So again, these are not NFL players at this point. They're college players, but they're basically sustaining the same injuries we see at the NFL level. Um, Jones fractures are the one that gained a lot of attention. Uh, today, in fact, we saw a large number of, of these college players that sustained a Jones fracture at some point in time. As you know, a Jones fracture is that fracture of the fifth metatarsal that's so difficult to heal and stay healed because of the poor circulation in the bone at the level where that fracture occurs. So that's why we're so quick to put a screw in there. And we put a screw in, we can usually get the guy back to play pretty quickly, but there's also about a 10% risk that that bone could re-break even with a screw in it. So we saw a large number of cases of that today, people that had to have revision surgery for Jones fractures. So I think that will be sort of the next thing we're looking at and the next um, study item we'll have is to figure out how can we lessen the risk of recurrent Jones fractures. Do we need to put a better screw and maybe use a plate instead of a screw? Should we do more bone grafting from the start? So these are things we'll be looking at. Can you explain the decision tree? Because I know um, when we've seen either combine players who present and they have an undiagnosed Jones fracture or players, current NFL players who have a fracture in season, they often go with this single screw repair, but there is that risk of re-injury. But if they have this more robust surgery, the revision, the re-injury rate is really low. Can you explain the decision process of, you know, why not just do the big procedure first? That's a great question. And the reason I don't recommend it, and most surgeons don't, is because it is a much larger procedure, obviously more risk when you do a larger procedure, more risk of infection, wound problems, and it's also just the amount of time it takes to recover from an open procedure. So again, if we just sneak a little screw in that fifth metatarsal bone, 90% of the guys heal and stay healed and do very, very well long term, and we've had people get back after that procedure as quick as three weeks or up to 10 weeks, but still it's a fairly quick recovery with very low morbidity, low risk. On the other hand, when you go to that more robust surgery with the open bone grafting, screw or plate fixation, you're now talking about a four-month recovery. And so that takes a young man out of a whole season, particularly when it comes to football. So when we see an injury that occurs, what I say, in season, um, you know, beginning of the season, preseason, um, we typically do the more minor procedure figuring it's going to work 90% of the time and it will allow this young man to continue to play through that year. One more question for you, because you see a fair number of these. You mentioned the Jones fracture, the high ankle sprains. Can you explain a little bit for the audience how when players come in and those kind of injuries, either they're diagnosed here or they're in the process of recovering from, how does that factor into how a player is viewed uh, by the teams as far as risk going forward? If somebody's had an injury and it's healed well, there's virtually no risk, particularly if it's been over a year or whatever from the time of the surgery or from when the injury took place. What we're looking for here is, are there situations where the bone hasn't healed? 
and um, does the person still have swelling, inflammation, pain that would lessen his performance or require another surgery, which would mean an extended period of time out and then not participating in football once drafted. Uh, with the high ankle sprain, we're looking at people who have residual issues like arthritis, um, joint damage that may have gone along with that ligamentous injury, which is what uh, the high ankle sprain is. So we're trying to evaluate for people who have had hopefully a good result after surgery, but trying to find those that just haven't fully healed in and may be at risk for either additional injury or requiring more surgery. And that then becomes up to every team how they value the risk versus the potential reward. Exactly. Thanks very much for taking some time with me at the Common. I know you're a very busy man. So Dr. Bob Anderson, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Well, as part of my adventures through the 2019 NFL Combine, I'm now uh, made my way over to the physical therapy suite of Brett Fisher, my dear friend, who's physical therapist, has his own fabulous clinic in Phoenix, Arizona, Fisher Institute, and is also the physical therapist for the Arizona Cardinals. Welcome, Brett. Stefania, great to see you. We usually have our <laughs> annual meeting here at the Omni um, Hotel, so always always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yes, we, we do. And since this is an audio podcast and uh, people can't see inside this suite, they might wonder what happens in the physical therapy suite that you have. So why don't you just uh, give the audience a lay of the land of what you've got going on here. It's a two-level suite. Uh, when we walked in, Daniel... Uh, my producer who you just met Mm -hmm. everybody in our world knows daniel uh he was like oh my goodness look look what happens in here we had a couple agents in here we had a couple players getting treatment we've got some snacks we've got a treatment table laid out explain to everybody what takes place here well at the fisher institute we um do nfl combine training and we're very fortunate to have these guys come to our facility and we get them for two months and this time of year we join them at the nfl combine now, their schedule here is absolutely crazy. Um, they come in for four days, and they don't get a lot of sleep. They're at hospitals, getting MRIs, CT scans, uh, getting poked and prodded, uh, interviewed, tested, <laughs> psychological testing, and as included at the very end on TV, they do physical testing. So every day is something else. So we have an opportunity to kind of be there with them. Uh, even like last night, one of our players finished the hospital at midnight. And he had not eaten all day. So we have this food delivered by... amazing. Yeah, we have food delivered by Sunfair, which is a company out of Los Angeles and Phoenix that has some of the best food. They FedEx food to us, some of the best nutritionist food. And he ate. He was so hungry last <laughs> night. And we gave him some treatment in the middle of the night. And then the treatment includes, we have a treatment table. We have uh, dry needling. We have a device called Normatec, which kind of pumps fluid in and out of your legs for recovery. We have a whole list of foods and drinks here. We're also uh, sponsored by Cytosport or Muscle Milk, and they provide us with all nutritional um, supplements for the game before and after. So we were, we're always there all the way. I brought Dwight, Pete. He's my speed coach, amazing guy. And he's, uh, whenever he gets a chance, he goes over to the convention centers, which are open. And it's amazing. Indianapolis is connected in this city by these hallways. Right. It's you like can, a habit trail. I tell people it's like if, if you had those hamster things when yeah. you were a kid and that, that you could go through all the, the what's connecting one part to the next, it helps you avoid having to go out in the cold and the snow. Right. So you can walk through the whole city and never walk outside. So Dwight finds these areas of just beautiful brand new carpeting, lays down tape, and he does all his speed training for these guys at the oddest hours. I witnessed this last year. went out with them and watched him train and some of these kids because – you know, explain to people why is it so important that they are getting the therapy, getting the treatment, and doing the training while they're here. You know, it's so important because, you know, there's four or five days here. And if you haven't done anything physical, then you're asked to do the 
biggest job interview in your life to run this 40-yard dash and you haven't really moved in four days and you sat in chairs, you're not going to be at your best. So whatever opportunity we have, I think like tonight at 8.30, we're going to do some training until about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. You have to prepare the body the whole week. And so not only do treatment here with massage and A-STEM and a whole bunch of cupping, but we'll also have Dwight do some flexibility and some movement prep for these guys to really prepare them to be at their best the day they run. So every day is a little different. Like tomorrow is the offensive lineman and then the defense and everybody else goes. The last group is the defensive back, which is Monday. So we're here till Monday. And we just supply them with like all the nutritional needs, PT needs, and then also the speed needs throughout the week. It's really interesting because I don't think people realize that all they see is the performance on TV. They know that they're getting medicals. They know that they're getting interviewed by coaches and GMs of various teams. And they know that they have to perform inside the stadium doing these various drills and obviously the 40. But here are these athletes who are training on this very specific routine leading up to the combine. And then it's completely disrupted. Has there ever been any thought? I mean, you obviously are affiliated with an NFL team. Has there ever been any discussion about how to make the combine schedule more consistent with what these athletes have been doing to minimize injury risk or, or to allow them to have more optimal performance when they're here? It's a great question. I've asked that question to many of them. And they actually say because of all the things they have to get done. And they're also the second reason that they have to see how these guys do under stress and put them in positions they haven't been before where they feel uncomfortable. They really want to see that. So they Mm, feel like it's it's an opportunity. It's part of the psychological part of it. So part of our job through Darren McMains, who's the sports psychologist with the San Francisco Giants. Mm -hmm. We use him in the offseason. He's amazing. He prepares our players for being used to being uncomfortable and actually embrace it because other people are going to complain about it. He talks about embracing it and making it a positive. So these guys come in here totally prepared for their schedule, lack of sleep. We, we, get, them, we get them naps before they come to, from Phoenix to here and really prepare them for that whole week. Say, it's going to be four days if you're not getting a lot of sleep and you know drug testing at 530 in the morning interviews till 10 o'clock at night but it's okay because we're going to be mentally tough and prepare ourselves for and accept what's going to come your way and it's really been successful over the years well i know that the long days and the lack of sleep has definitely tested me but that's why i end (laughs) this session of of my week of interviews here so that i can get some therapy it's time for me to get my physical therapy treatment so that's all the time we have to talk well i think we used a theragun on you today and have you some relaxation but thank you so much for having me on your show i really appreciate it always great seeing you. you Well, that's going to do it for our guests. Thank you to Dr. Robin West, Dr. Walt Lowe, Dr. Robert Anderson, and Brett Fisher. Daniel, so much to take away from the insight they were gracious enough to share. I know a lot of these things because this is what I've done and, and reported on various elements of it. But for you, what was it like to hear these conversations? What did you take away? Well, it was funny because you kept saying to me, like, you're going to love this. You're <laughs> going to love this. And it was absolutely, you know, from my standpoint, as just more of like an average person that enjoys being able to watch the combine, to take away all this, there are so many things that you cannot imagine what goes on here, being able to pull back the curtain even just a little bit to be able to get into the room and understand, you know, when, when Robin was going through talking about player evaluations and all these teams are here and you've got all these medical records and, oh, we think we found something. We need you to go do an MRI. Well, they can just do an MRI, right, you know, right there in Indy. We need to get x-rays for these things, like stuff that you would not even imagine. So being able to see that and also it, it was great being able to look at, at the very end with Brett. 
understanding you know, <laughs> you know players coming in like we're sitting in a in a suite a hotel room with like players coming in and doing these things and agents there food stacked around the corner physical therapy treatments ongoing absolutely i mean you understand there's so much at stake doing these things and you know that everyone always says this is like the biggest job interview they're ever going to have and so Getting just to pull back the curtain a little bit and living a day in your life, <laughs> knowing all of these things was so great to be able to see all of that. Like it is, this is just a phenomenal thing to be able to see and understand, have a better understanding of how this entire process works. Well, I really appreciate everybody sharing their time because as you heard, uh, these folks are going from early in the morning, 6, 7 a.m. Oh, yeah. until midnight or later. So uh, it was very, very nice of them to give us some time. And that's what I was going to say. Being there and knowing they go from this thing to this thing to this thing to this thing, and yet they took seven, ten minutes out of their day to find us in a crowded little area to be able to do this. It was so great to be able to sit down with them in the middle of this massive workload that they have. And I think part of that is because they want to help people understand the the process. I yeah. think uh, they know it's important because sometimes the results get shared through the media and they understand the importance and I, hopefully we're bringing that to people of a little bit more insight into what the actual process is, that it is fairly complex, that it's done with the player's ultimate health in mind. And the, and just that it's not a simple, a simple process or something that anyone takes lightly. Absolutely. And knowing that the last thing I've been saying a lot, because there was a lot, there was so much for me to take in because you've, you've done this so many times, knowing that there are like, there are players that are here and things get found out while you're at the combine. Oh, well, we found that this thing was done and it, you know, it wasn't done as well as we thought, or we need to, you know, look at these things. The idea that these players are coming in and they're able to diagnose that after you think you know everything and like it's, it was so incredible to understand that you have a player that had a surgery. We don't think the surgery went well. We need to do more. And you, you're, they're not just reviewing information here. They're actually making discoveries. We talked about mm-hmm. it. You, this player has this and this needs to be addressed. Or, you know, we've had in the past players that have, have found life changing, you know, life altering things. These doctors that we are talking to are part of that process to be able to help diagnose that for that player, which is phenomenal. The level of expertise and the quality oh, yeah. of the personnel that are there providing it uh, cannot be understated. And I Incredible. think that's really important. So, uh, you know, people may dismiss the medical staff sometimes. I really don't think they should. Uh, you could argue that I'm biased, but here you are, somebody who's unfamiliar, who comes in and walks away being impressed with um, the level of uh, sophistication of what's going on. Absolutely. And the, the, you can hear it in their voices. They care a great deal about these players. Oh, yeah. They're so passionate about it mm-hmm. from that standpoint. It's not just they're passionate about the craft, even though they are. They're also passionate about the kids that they're working with, which I think is just a whole other level that I, I, I just love. Well, I'm glad that we got to share it. You got to experience it, Daniel. And hopefully through the uh, delivery of the podcast, uh, the audience out there has been able to experience it as well. So thank you for listening to this edition of the Answering the Bell, the 2019 NFL Combine Edition. I hope we get to do this again in years to come. Uh, Again, thank you all for listening. If you have any other uh, thoughts Uh, ideas for podcasts going forward don't hesitate to send me a note on twitter uh, at stefania underscore espn and until the next edition stay healthy